0: All right. those of you who have been watching on live stream, I understand some of you haven't been able to hear up to this point. We're going to work on that and get that fixed in the future. I don't think anybody here is having any trouble hearing me. I'm echoing around pretty good in here. But I'm glad that you're here. Uh, In person it's nice to see your faces. And those of you who are watching online, we're glad to have you as well. We're continuing our study in triumphing over sinful fear. And uh, last week we we weren't able to quite finish up the lesson, so I want to kind of go through it in a little more detail and give it a little more information than what I put out in the notes last week. But the idea here is this guy named John Fla- Flavell, Flavel, uh, Deb keeps telling me how to pronounce his name, I, I keep wanting to pronounce it differently. But uh, this Puritan, really, the way these Puritans thought is so much different than me. They, they-, they take an idea, and they might take a verse and then they will spend like three weeks just looking at one verse and every single word, and they twist it and turn it upside down and and all this sort of thing. So by the time you're done, you got all the juice out of that word that you can get, and hopefully you have a better understanding of the idea here. Uh, But we've been talking about basically three kinds of fear, the natural fear and the sinful fear and the religious fear. And this natural fear is basically the fear that comes because of the fall of man. Had Adam and Eve never sinned and you and me never sinned, there'd be no reason for fear. Because the whole idea behind fear is that something's going to come and get me. I'm going to have to face something difficult. I'm going to have to face something hard. And we know that ultimately the wages of sin is death, right? And so that's something that is going to be behind us all the time until we get to heaven and God takes care of that. So natural fear is something that we're just going to have in this world and we just need to be aware of that. And then we need to look out for this other kind of fear, the sinful fear, which is the kind of fear that we dwell on, and we let it kind of roll around in our heads, and we let it, we let our minds go crazy, and we start thinking about things, and and and, and we start imagining things, and and uh, and we don't trust God to get us through those things. That song we sang, "I just keep trusting my Lord," is a good song for us to know when we run into those things that can worry us. You ever, you ever have something that just gets on your mind and it just, you just wrestle with it? You just wrestle with it. You just wrestle with it. I have things like that that get into my mind and I feel like I've got to wrestle them to the ground. And sometimes we do, and sometimes we just got to say, I'm never going to get this figured out. I've got to turn it over to the Lord. And that's when we can get away from those things. But that's a, that's a sinful fear that we have to be careful of. The, what's the cause of it? It is the rejection of God's promise Uh, Back in uh, the Old Testament, we had a time when the the children of Israel were were getting ready to go into battle and God sends a prophet to them and he says, if you'll just rest and trust in me, everything will be okay. And they say, no, we're going to get some fast horses and we're going to get out of here. And the whole idea is they, the children of Israel chose to trust in a fast horse rather than to trust in the promises of God. And sometimes we want to get our own devices rather than just rest and trust in the Lord. And uh, that's, uh, that's a rejection of the promises of God. God says He'll take care of us if we'll put our trust in Him. And as we do, uh, we can get past this, this kind of fear. It's excess. It, it, it's allowing one's imagination to create non-existent dangers. You remember we talked about, about how Jacob was expecting to meet Um, Esau and all of this trouble that had happened in the past and and he was worried because Esau came with 400 men and it looks like he's getting ready to go into a battle and he's afraid he's going to get taken and he's scheming and worrying and fretting and all this sort of thing and that's the wrong kind of fear, that's when things happen to us and then when he actually met Esau, Esau gave him a big hug and he was so glad to see him what a difference, he worried about nothing and most of the time when we let this sinful fear take over our lives we're worrying about something that's not real and, and uh, we don't have to. And all it does is waste time. And it keeps us from enjoying the things of the Lord. And it gets us into a bad state of mind. And the joy of the Lord has gone in our lives. But that's our choice. Then there's that inordinance, inordinacy. The word that I have a hard time saying. It's, this is one of those Puritan words. But it's trusting in a noun. You know, what is a noun? You boys, tell me. What is a noun? What is a noun? Sam? Person, place, thing, one other thing. An idea, right? Person, place, thing, or idea. And we get our we get to put our trust in something else, and we get our idea in something else, anything else—a bank account, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, a, a bigger person than us who can fight the battles for us, an army. Uh, some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the Lord. Is the idea here? So anything that we get, we put our trust in other than God is is sinful. Uh, it's influences. It can distract us. Uh, and uh, keep us from trusting God for deliverance. Uh, king Jehoshaphat of Judah got into battle. I've been studying through the kings, and it's really hard to keep track of who's what, especially when they all have the same name, whether they're in Israel or whether they're in Judah. And I've been trying to straighten this out and figure this all out. But, uh, but Jehoshaphat was a king who's a mixed guy. I mean, he was, he was sometimes a good guy, sometimes a bad guy. But at one particular time... An army was coming down upon Judah, and he, he instead of turning and, and, and fussing and carrying on, he just dropped to his knees, and he called all of Judah together. He said, let's pray. And they did, and God took care of them. And that's, that's what happens. But when we get into sinful fear, we forget to pray, and we start to fret. And that's the, that's the opposite of what we need to do. And the power of sinful fear is that it can cause us to do sinful things to try to work our way out of things, like failing to pray. Or doing like Abraham and, uh, and Isaac did later on, where they lied to the kings about who their wives were. And, uh, and, and even the best of us can fall into that, if we get into that sinful fear. And we have to be very wary of that, and the power is that it can get us in trouble. Um, there's a quote here, all fear is the result of sin, but not all fear is sinful. We w- without the fall, we wouldn't have fear. But if we feed that fear, that's when it becomes sinful, and we've got to be careful of that. And that's what a lot of people are doing today. They're worried about COVID, they're worried about masks, they're worried about vaccines, they're worried about all these things. And we need to be thinking about those things, and we need to be responding properly, but we don't want to do it all in fear. We want to trust the Lord and do the right thing, okay? Uh, fear. All fear is the result of sin, but not all fear is sinful, Fear is part of a fallen human nature because all men are sinners, but there's a good kind of fear, and that's that religious fear that we're looking at. The kind of fear that directs a person to move away from sin and to God. Uh, So, religious fear. Basically, we're talking about the fear of the Lord. This is the idea. And we all have to have this kind of fear if we want to be right with God. Uh, So, it is a proper reference for and a submission to God. And uh, John Flavel calls it the antidote. To sinful fear, sinful fear is poison. It'll it'll ruin your life. It'll it'll w- wreck your walk with God. It'll it'll wreck your effectiveness as a Christian. It'll re- it'll it'll keep you from from trusting the Lord for salvation. I don't know if I can trust Him or not, and uh, and that sort of thing. But when we do have the kind of fear that says God is good and God is powerful and God is amazing and God is all powerful, and I can trust Him because. He is powerful, and that is kind of scary because he's so powerful, but it's also wonderful because that strength can protect me. And that's the idea of what we're trying to get into, the idea of trusting God and, uh, and, uh, and that sort of thing. So uh, we're commanded in Scripture to constantly live in this kind of fear. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 17 says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live... In the fear of the Lord always. Okay? So, the kind of fear, this kind of fear is a blessing that prevents us from going into sin. It prevents us from going back into sinful fear. It, It prevents us from falling under God's judgment because we're running to Him instead of running away from Him. Proverbs 28, verse 14 How blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So this is a right kind of fear. This is a fear of God. This is a fear that says I don't want to disappoint God. It's a fear that I don't want to disobey God. It's a fear that I don't want to get away from God. I don't want to go someplace else because he's the one who's going to take care of me. So God plants this fear in our soul. It's a gift from God. In Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 38, They shall be my people. I will be their God and will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me always for their own good. And for the good of their children after them, and I will make them make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from them to do them good, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts, so that they will not turn away from me. So God puts this in our hearts. Uh, it comes when we trust him for salvation. It comes when we, we read his word. Have you ever been nervous and fearful and worrying about something, and then you're in God's word, and all of a sudden a verse pops out, and you say, ah, now I know I'm okay. God's word has spoken to me. That's a blessing from God. I can trust God. I fear the Lord because I know he has the strength to take care of the situation. All right, this kind of fear puts us in awe of God as we read his word. Psalm 119, 161, my heart stands in awe of your words. The more I read my Bible, the more I fall in love with the Lord, and the more I want to obey him, the less I want to disappoint him because I see all through the scriptures how he takes care of those who really Put their faith and trust in Him, and uh, you know, young people, you got to get that. You got to get that. You got. You're making all kinds of decisions, and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life, and where you're going to go to school, what you're going to do with your life, what your life goal is. Just put put it in God's hands. Let Him guide you, and if you do that, you'll be down. You'll down the road. You'll find yourself in a good place. All right. So uh, this fear in uh, in, in cl- inclines us, or leans us, or or kind of gets us to tilt our way. Uh, into a desire to please God as we trust and obey Him. When you trust God and you see God help you through, and then you trust Him again, you see Him help you through, He always comes through. He always comes through. And so the more you lean that way and the more you fear God, the more peace you have in your heart, the more joy you have, the more confidence you have for life. All right, Genesis chapter 22, God tested Abraham. You know the story. God says, take your only son, Isaac, take him up to Mount Moriah. And there, I want you to put that knife into his chest, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And, I, and Abraham obeys, unbelievably, I've, I've always been amazed by this, Abraham's got to be 114 years old or so at this time, or older. And, Jake, and, and Isaac is a young man, probably strong enough to whoop a 114-year-old man, I would think. And yet he goes with his dad, because he trusts his father, he fears God. And Isaac goes along with this thing. I, I, I just can't believe he didn't just run away. I, I think I could outrun a 114-year-old man, right? And uh, even I, at my age, and, and, and with me, I think I could outrun a 114-year-old man. But, uh, but surely that teenager, that young man could have done that. But he went along with him. It always amazes me. And then God, in Genesis 22, verse 16, looks at Abraham when he expresses, I fear God and I will obey him no matter what. And God says, no, I don't really want you to do it. Now I know. I, you've passed the test. You do fear me. And so I'm going to bless you. And you know what happens there in Genesis 22. God sends a ram. And Abraham sacrifices the ram. Isaac is greatly relieved. Can you imagine the sweat coming off his face? And they finally go, oh, good. Thank you, Lord. And, uh, and they both go down the mountain rejoicing because of what God has done. Because Abraham put his life, and he put his son's life, into the hands of the God that he feared so much. That's the good kind of fear. This fear causes us to shun evil. In Job chapter one, and again, I'm I'm reviewing. I'm trying to get through this quickly, but in Job chapter one, you remember Job. He was the man who loved God and feared God, and eschewed. King James says, or 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 uh, uh, a man who feared God and turned away from evil, and he was the greatest of all the men of his day. And so we can we we want to be like Job. We want to have that kind of fear. Now. Last week we just kind of hit the highlights. Let's go into the use of natural fear. What are some good uses of this first kind of fear? This fear that comes naturally because of sin. We know punishment has to come. We know punishment has to come because God is holy and God is righteous and we are sinful and there's always a consequence for sin, right? And so God has to deal with this. He has to because he's righteous. And so God can use a natural fear to aid... And uh, to, to govern human passions, to keep us under control. Um, God uses natural fear to aid in civil government. You see that there in your notes. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, this is the, kind of the beginning of human government, where God says, Whosoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. That's not a personal thing, that's a government thing stepping in. For in the image of God he made man. So God instituted human government. We don't always like human government. Sometimes we have good government. Sometimes we have bad government. But God gave us government. And the idea behind government, the purpose of government, is to keep us under control sometimes. And we need that. That's why there are speed limits out there. I need those. Don't you? That's why there are laws against killing people. I'm glad for that. Uh, There are laws against stealing things. There are laws against all sorts of things. We have those things because they're there to protect us. And God give us that. And, be, and, and there should be some fear behind uh, disobedience. Otherwise, Habakkuk talks about us becoming no different than the fish of the sea. And uh, in Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 14, he says, Why have you made men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? Uh, have you ever been out in the ocean? I used to, Chris and I used to do some scuba diving in Guam. And we would watch fish. And the big fish would come in and the little fish would take off as fast as they could because they knew that big fish was going to eat the little fish. And then look behind him, there's a bigger fish coming after him. You know, they're all going as fast as they can. And that's, it's kind of the law of the jungle out there in the, in the ocean. And one big fish can swallow the little ones. That's why we use the little ones for bait. And if we want to catch a bigger fish, we use a bigger fish, right, uh, for bait. And, uh, and that's just the way it is in the natural world. They don't have uh, government it's the survival of the fittest. That's one of those things that we're aware of. You see that picture there in the notes uh, about the lion taking out, uh, a, a, I think that's a, a, a wild uh, ox or something like that, uh, uh, a water buffalo or something. And, and that, that's the idea of the, the strongest wins, and the one who has the loudest voice shouts everybody else down, and the one with the biggest personality wins the argument, Right? unless there's a law that says you can't do that, right? And then the government has to come in and do what government does. John Flavel says, Whoever fears not the loss of his own life will master another person's life. It is the law and the accompanying fear of punishment that keeps the world in order. People are afraid to do evil because they're afraid to suffer for it. They see that the law has inseparably linked moral and punishable evils together if they presume to commit the one... They must necessarily suffer the other, the punishment. This keeps them in some order and decorum. Without law, there would be no order or security. People would drive 150 miles an hour down the road and knock you off the road if they didn't like the way you were driving, right? Um, Anyway, if laws had no penalties annexed to them or attached to them, they would have no more power to restrain our corruptions. And that's part of the problem we have right now in the city because of the, the laws, the way the, the, way the attorney general is not enforcing. You can go into stores and you can take up to so much money and there is no penalty for it. And you know, you know from the experience that we have, people break windows and you call the police and they don't come. And, and you can't catch them and there's no penalty for it. And we see things like that that are happening. That's when government is getting a little corrupt and we need to fix those things. But that's for another issue. But the whole idea, the main purpose for law, the main purpose for law is to put the fear of God in people to make them behave. That's the idea there. And when government doesn't do that, they're not doing their job. Romans chapter 13 talks about this. It says in Romans chapter 13 verse 3, For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you'll have praise from the same. For it is a a minister of God to you for good, but if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. It is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. That's the idea. Flavel talks about a, a, I don't know if it's true or not. I tried to find out online if it was true. I couldn't find anything on it, but tried to check some history about it. But, But Flavel says in ancient Persia, they had a ritual or a, a custom that when the king of Persia died, for the next five days, everything, all the laws were canceled, all the penalties were canceled, the police all went home took a nap, and, uh, and anybody could do whatever you wanted to do for five days after the king died. That was to grieve the king's death. But it was also for another purpose... And that was when the next king came on and took the throne and the rules came back and people started feeling safer again because the new king was bringing some justice to sin and the people couldn't kill me anymore and the people couldn't uh, have all of their waves with the women anymore and the people couldn't steal as much as they wanted anymore. They were so happy for a new king and they were so happy for policemen that it made the new king look really good. See the idea here? It makes us thankful for government when government does the right thing and protects us like it should, because we do live in natural fear, and that natural fear is helpful to government when we need it. Right? Now, Flavel doesn't talk about the next issue, and but I think it's important for us to also under, under think, also think about this. There should be a little bit of a natural fear for children, and teens, and young people who are still living under their parents' roof. Should be a little bit afraid of dad and mom. I don't mean terrified. If parents are terrifying their children, there's something wrong there. But there should, they should be aware that mom and dad are in charge. And there should be a punishment when you disobey All Right? That's why the Bible talks about corporal punishment. I'm not saying beat children. I'm saying there is kind of a switch on the back side right down here that if you touch it just right, it sends a, 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 an automatic signal right up here to the brain that says, don't do that again. That hurts. That's not good. And and there's a little fear in that. I don't. I don't want to get spanked again. You know, I don't want to get that again. Again, be careful, parents. We we got to be careful that we don't do this in anger because we can get angry when our kids do wrong, can't we? But we need to make sure that we're doing it the right way. Scripture talks about this. Proverbs thirteen verse twenty four: He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Proverbs twenty two fifteen: Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Proverbs twenty nine seventeen. correct your son and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. You don't always have to use a, a rod or a spanking. You can talk to them in other ways and correct them. I'll let you be creative in doing that as parents and wise to know the right judgment. Proverbs twenty nine fifteen. the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. And fathers, you have a special... Uh, importance in all of this. Proverbs, Ephesians chapter six and verse four says, "Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, we are a, an illustration of God the Father to our children. And if they see God uh, they see us as loving and firm and right and, and, <clears throat> and, and just in the way we deal with them, They will start to get a picture that God the Father is firm and righteous and loving and just in the way that he deals with us. And it makes it easier for them to know that they can trust a God like that. So it's important that we have that. There should be consequences for disobedience. Government gives it to us. Parents give it to us. And uh, in school that ought to happen as well. Other places, you know what, you get the idea here. There, there, are, there should be consequences. That's a right thing. That's the way God intended it to be. Sinful fear. Let's go there. The uses of sinful fear. To punish those who refuse to trust God. You refuse to trust God. You're going to go your own way. You're going to go out and, and do drugs and alcohol and live in immorality and, and live, in a de, live a decadent lifestyle. Chances are you're going to end up like, you keep doing that, you're going to end up like some of the people we see in the streets of this city. Walking through the streets, mumbling at themselves, living in poverty, uh, out of their minds, living in fear, terrified of things that aren't there because something's wrong in their heads because they've, they've, they've allowed themselves to live so deeply in sin. And they get diseased and they get troubled and all of that sort of thing. It happens because we reject God and decide to go our own way. John Flavel says, if people will not fear God, then they will fear one another. He will make them a terror to themselves. God's deliverance of a person into the hands of his own fear is a dreadful punishment indeed. There is scarcely a greater torment in the world than for a person to be his own tormentor and for his mind to be an engine of torture to his body. Listen, if you can't trust God with your life and you decide you're going to do things your own way, God's going to say, okay, I will grant your request and I will send leanness to your soul. I'm going to send trouble your way. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing. Why? Guilty conscience. When's it going to catch up with me? How many of you have ever read, I think it's it's a Russian author, I can never say his name right, Dostoevsky or something like that. The, 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 The book is Crime and Punishment. You ever read that book? Years ago I used to read classics while I was on a Nordic track. I neither read the classics nor ride Nordic tracks anymore. But I did that that time. And and I was reading Crime and Punishment. And in Crime and Punishment, this guy in the the, the the main character of the book decides that he is young and strong and poor and he's trying to go to school and and there's this rich old lady and she's ugly and she's weak and she can't she's sickly and she can't hardly survive and but she's got lots of money. So if I could just have her money I could do a lot of good things with my life. And so he justifies, uh, it was really gross, he takes an axe and just bashes her head in and and, and gets away with it for a while. But the entire book, it's about a 400-page book, the entire book, he's always looking over his shoulder, who's going to catch me this time? Who's going to catch me this time? That's what happens when we live in this sinful fear. We've done something wrong, and we're just waiting and waiting. Because it hasn't been dealt with. And we have paranoia and all those things that are in that list there. Now, God uses sinful fear to punish men who oppose Him. I'm on page 8 in the notes there, if you have the ones that I've given you here tonight. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 58, and then verses 65 to 67 says this. If you're not careful to observe all the words of this law which are written in this book, to fear this honored and awesome name, the Lord your God... Verse 65 says, Among those nations you shall find no rest, and there will be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing of eyes, and despair of soul. So your life shall hang in doubt before you, and you'll be in dread night and day. You shall have no assurance of your life. In the morning you'll say, Would that it were evening. In the evening you'll say, Would that it were morning, because of the dread of the heart with which you dread. You won't be able to sleep, you won't be able to live. You're constantly worried about getting in trouble, God uses that to punish people who oppose Him. God uses sinful fear to protect his people in uh, in Exodus and in Joshua, we see where God used hornets to bring fear to israel 's enemies and we 're moving fast because i 'm looking at the watch at the t- clock and I want to make sure we get there but uh, in exodus chapter twenty three God says to the children of Israel. If you'll trust me, I'll take care of those people who are trying to reject me and reject you and give trouble to you. He says, I will send my terror ahead of you in Exodus twenty-three twenty-seven, And throw into confusion all the people among whom you come and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. I will send hornets ahead of you so that they will drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites and the Hittites before you. And then later on in Joshua 24, God said, "I did that for you, didn't I? I sent the hornet before you, and I drove out two kings of the Amorites from before you." And you remember about the plagues of Egypt, how God did those things, and He brought fear to even Pharaoh. Finally, after He said, "You, t- you killed my son," all right, I give up. And even then, that didn't work for a while, right? Only for a little while. And God had to bring because Pharaoh just rejected God, and God said, "Finally, that's it. You want to, you want to, you want to keep fighting my people?" Come on into the Red Sea and I'll show you what I can do to you. And he drowned him there in the Red Sea. That's what happens, where God protects his people and he punishes evil for those who reject him. Psalm 9 and verse 18, The needy will not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the afflicted perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. So when we run into a situation, and, and there are times in life when we run into situations and we, and, and we get overwhelmed. I can't win. There's no way I can win. The government's not right. The, the people are not doing right. Uh, I have a bully who's chasing me and I can't beat him. Whatever it is, there's all these things that kind of gang up on us. And we can live in constant fear or we can say, okay, Lord, you take care of them. And you turn it over to them. And, and, and let God take care of it. Now we know ultimately God uses sinful fare to intensify eternal judgment. You know Luke 16. uh, That's that passage where the rich man, who was not always a bad man, but he never accepted Christ. He was a good man in some ways. That beggar always sat outside his door. Lazarus was always there. And dogs would come by and lick his sores. And he was sick and he kind of bad looking, hard to deal with. And the rich man would... Throw him some food once in a while. Throw him some crumbs. We went out to eat tonight. Got got some. Got, I got a salad. I was a good boy tonight. I'm not going to tell you what everybody else ate, but that's what I did. And uh, and uh, we and 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 they afterwards they gave me this gigantic roll. And everybody looked at me and says, "You're on a diet. Don't eat that." And I said, so "I didn't." But I put it on a put it on a napkin and I set it on a table outside. And I said, "Somebody'll eat that. And I know they will." Well, that's what the rich man did for Lazarus. He took care of him. Uh, he just let him eat some of the crumbs off the table, and so he was a bad. Man. wasn't a, wasn't an entirely bad man, but he rejected God, and he ends up in hell, being in torments. And God reminded him of the misuse of opportunities that he had. He said in verse 25 of Luke chapter 16, uh, Abraham is speaking to him across that void between paradise and 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 Hades where the rich man was from where Lazarus was and where the rich man was Uh, Abraham says remember remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things but now he's being comforted here can you imagine the torment of that you know if you never if you never had a diet Dr. Pepper you'd never know what you're missing but if you lived on Diet Dr. Pepper, like I do, you crave Diet Dr. Pepper. Can you imagine being in a place where you could never, ever have another... Di- oh, that would be awful. That would just be terrible. Uh, but uh, this is where the rich man was. He'd, in his life, he'd had all these good things, and now he has nothing. And now he has nothing but pain and suffering. But he remembers what he used to have, and that adds to his sufferings. God uses this sinful fear by reminding the cursed of their present torment. He said in verse 25 and 26, you are in agony. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able. None may cross over from there to us. So not only does he remember how good it used to be, he knows how bad it is right now. And then he causes him to anticipate increasing torment. He knows this is going to go on forever and ever and ever and ever. Ever. And he says in verse 27, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers in order that they may, he may warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. This is going to be forever and I don't want anybody else to be in here with me. So this is what God uses these things. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31 says, it is a terrifying. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God in judgment on sinful fear." That's the idea here. So we want to make sure that we don't have that. How foolish it is to know these things and not turn to God. It is demonic. In James chapter 2 verse 19 it says, You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and they shudder because it's too late for them to fix it. But you are willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that... But are you willing, you foolish fellow, to, to recognize... Are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? In other words, if you're living in sinful fear right now, if you're fearful about what you've done and you're afraid of God's judgment coming down upon you, and we know that it will come, repent now. Turn to the Lord now. Accept Him for salvation. And as a Christian... Confess your sins and, and get restored and have that fellowship and that joy restored to your life. And get past the guilt because if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And to cleanse us and clean the slate and of all unrighteousness. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That's a good thing. So the use of religious fear, and we'll hit this quickly and we probably won't come back to this. But God uses religious fear to excite believers to serve him. Uh, we know that God is good. We know that God is great. And we know that there's consequences of it, So I don't of, of disobeying him. So I don't want to suffer the consequences. I'd much rather have the blessings of God. So Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Solomon, after he had literally tried everything that he could do in that day. He had all the wisdom he wanted, all the money he wanted, all the fame he wanted. He had everything he could experiment with, anything in life. He comes to the conclusion in Acts chapter 12. And verse 13, the conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God, keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act of judgment, everything that is hidden, whether it is good or evil. God will ultimately judge everything that is evil, right? and he will ultimately reward everything that is good. That's in that box up at the top under using religious fear. That's pastor's definition of the fear of the Lord. It's a good definition. And uh, we need to understand that. When we properly fear God, we cling to him and remain focused in our service to him. You can read that verse in Jeremiah 32. And God uses religious fear to preserve a clear conscience. You know the story of Joseph. Remember Joseph? He's in Potiphar's house. He's been given charge of everything and Potiphar's beautiful seductive wife comes to him and says come on lie with me and he says how can i do this thing and fear against Potiphar and and, and and sin against Potiphar that's not what he said he said how can i do this thing and sin against god because Joseph feared god he didn't sin and he had a clear conscience in Nehemiah chapter 5 Nehemiah talks about the fact that he was ruler over over the city of Jerusalem as they were building the walls and rebuilding the city and all of that. And as the uh, Tershatha or the governor of that area, he could have uh, brought in riches and and taxed the people and and lived in luxury and lived higher than everybody else. But he said, no, I fear God and I'm not going to do that. Verse 15, the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver and their servants domineered the people but i did not do so because of the fear of god so that's the right kind of fear and then god uses religious fear to prepare his children for future distress hebrews talks about how noah was and you knew that noah had, had heard noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and. God had determined that because of the sinfulness of the world, he was going to destroy the world with a flood. But because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, God said, you can build a boat. And it'll be big enough for all the animals. It'll be big enough for a whole lot of people. And you build that boat and you'll be safe. And Noah built that ark. Because he feared the punishment that he knew was coming. And he prepared for future distress. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 16 says, A wise man is cautious and turns away from evil. But a fool is arrogant and is careless. It doesn't bother me. I'm going to do whatever I want. If we live in the fear of God, we will be righteous people. We will be people that honor God. We will be people that do what's right. We'll be people that are prepared. Because the day of judgment is coming. How do we prepare? We prepare by trusting Jesus Christ for salvation. We prepare for, from punishment as a Christian or God's hand of correction on us as, as a disobedient child of God by confessing our sins and, and, and turning it over to him, agreeing with God about our sins, repenting of it, turning away, and living in that kind of fear. Understanding that God is good and gracious and powerful enough to deal with our sin, but also powerful enough to protect us if we do what's right. Does that makes sense? Um, so, all men live in fear of something. We all do. It might be a boogeyman. Yeah, I remember as a kid, we were I was afraid to sleep with the closet door open because of something I saw on TV one time. There was a dead lady in the closet, and they would sewed her lips shut, and her eyes were open. It scared me to death. I didn't want to see that ever. So I always slept with the closet door closed. I got a spanking one time because I wouldn't get my hat out of that closet because I was afraid that dead lady with her lips shut and her eyes open was in that closet. And my dad said, you go get that hat. I said, I am not. And that, that scared me. We live in fear of something, don't we? And uh, and uh, But all fear is a natural outcome of a fall into sin. And it's going to be in our lives. We're going to have some things that frighten us. You hear that word cancer. It's going to frighten you. you you, you hear about... Your, 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 you give your kids the keys to the car the first time they go out. It'll frighten you. Uh, you send them off to college. That'll frighten you. You start getting old and you can't do what you used to do. It'll frighten you. But if we live in the fear of the Lord we live in the fear of the lord we know he's going to take good care of us we know he's going to protect us and though we may not live forever and we may not avoid all the struggles of life if we die we've got heaven to look forward to and he's always going to make everything right in second samuel chapter 24 verse 14 we know that david feared the lord you remember that was the time when he did something kings were commanded not to do he numbered the people. He counted everybody. He tried to make him, look at me. I have power over all of these people and all of this army and all this stuff. And that was not, God had told him, don't do it. Even Joab, who wasn't all that smart, wasn't that good of a man, told him, don't do it. And David said, we're doing it. And he did it. And God said, okay, you can do it. But you're going to face some judgment. And God gave him some options, right? He said, I'm going to send a pestilence to you. I'm going to send the armies to you. Or... You're going to have three days with my judgment on you. What do you want? Job, 2 Samuel 24, verse 14. David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us now fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. We would be wise to choose that kind of a relationship with the Lord. I trust you, Lord, to do right by me. I know I've messed up. I know I'm not perfect. I know I live in a sinful world. But I fear you because I know that you're the great God who will fix everything. And I stand in awe of you. And I will trust you with my life. When you do that, there's a peace in your heart because you know God's going to take care of you. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. And I love that quote that I have put in the front and the end of this n- lesson. When we fear God properly, we need not fear anything or anyone else. Right? Right?